By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Reboth the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the Hebrew spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to upset release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered in mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, prosecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were com commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not apart from us be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken its seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for your presence among us. We pray that you might still any voice within us but your own, that we might hear you speaking and that our lives might be transformed. In your name we pray, amen. Two weeks ago, Suki read Jesus' lineage as described in the first chapter of Matthew. As Jane pointed out, 
Within that account, there are four women whose mention is rather surprising. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, who is not named but described by her relationship. This is, of course, why her inclusion is so shocking, because David's desire to possess Bathsheba is what led him to commit murder. The lineage of Jesus is, for the most part, a story of men. The father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so, is how much of the text reads. So the inclusion of women stands out. It's also a signal that these women and their stories are important. After commending these remarkable and fascinating women to our study, Jane then shared the stories of two other courageous and faithful women, Hagar and Abigail. Because today's reading in Hebrews mentions one of the four listed in Matthew's account of Jesus' ancestry, I want to spend a little time with Rahab. Rahab's story can be found in the book of Joshua in chapters 2 and 6. The text makes it clear that she was a prostitute, and yet she is one of the matriarchs in Jesus' family tree. And she's lifted up in the book of Hebrews as an example of faithfulness. So who was Rahab and why was she and is she so important? You will remember that Moses died before the Israelites entered the promised land. His successor, Joshua, was to be the one who would lead the people into the promised land and conquer it. Joshua's first act was to send two spies into the land and into the well-fortified city of Jericho. With these orders, the two men entered Jericho and the house of the prostitute, Rahab. Now let's step back for a second. Joshua sent two men to spy, and the first thing they did was enter the home of a prostitute. I have often wondered about their intention, but we don't talk about such things when we're children in Sunday school. We learn that the walls of Jericho fell when the Israelite army circled it seven times, and upon the cry of the Israelite people, but we do not talk about why the spies entered Rahab's house. So I found it refreshing to read the Jewish Women's Archives account, which quite clearly states that the men were looking for lodging, information, and or sex. Of course, of all of the homes they could have visited, they entered the home of a prostitute. We could try to come up with all kinds of reasons as to why the men might have chosen that home. These men who had wandered in the wilderness for two years, and we might try to clean it up. Some have suggested she was an innkeeper or maybe the mistress of a brothel, but that is not what our text says. It says she was a prostitute. They chose a prostitute's home because they wanted sex and she was poor and seemingly powerless. She was after all part of the land and the people that they planned to conquer and possess. It is our Western minds, influenced by patriarchy, puritanical notions of morality, and the abhorrence of female bodies and power, 
that want to gloss over the possibility that sex was at the center of their choice of lodging. Our forefathers so shunned conversations about sex and sexuality and had such disregard for women that the church created the narrative of Mary's immaculate conception. They could not even allow Mary to be a normal woman. If God chose her, surely she was born without original sin. And the conception of Jesus had to have been achieved without the stain of sex. Yet the Bible, full of women, and women whose sexuality takes center stage. Rahab was a prostitute and a hero of the faith, according to Hebrews. Hagar was a slave forced to sleep with her master and is the mother of Islam. Mary, a poor child from nowhere, pregnant, out of wedlock, and the mother of the central character in our faith. Despite our moralistic Christian attempts to separate sex and sexuality from women, the stories of our faith make it clear that it's really our problem and not that of the characters in our stories, nor is it God's concern. Rahab was a woman who turned to prostitution to support herself. This makes her no less qualified to be an agent of God's grace and work in the world. Nor does the fact that the spies went looking for information and a good time. Rahab still functioned as an oracle of truth and played a role in the Israelites' conquest of the promised land. The spies still brought back valuable information that led the army forward. This story is free of sexual judgment. Rahab, like Tamar and Hagar and many other women in scripture, was the epitome of a marginalized character. She was Canaanite, a woman, and a prostitute. She had no power within her own society, as she worked as a prostitute, possibly to pay off debt. She was therefore poor. And to the approaching Israelite army, she was simply a problem to be solved. She was part of the people that would be destroyed and driven from the land. The Canaanites were the enemy. Even in the New Testament, Jesus looked down upon the Canaanite woman who came seeking healing for her daughter. You may remember, Jesus called her a dog. Canaanites were despised. And yet this poor Canaanite prostitute, like all the women that we have studied, was courageous, wise, resilient, tenacious, and powerful in her own right. When the king of Jericho heard that there were spies in the city, taking up lodging in Rahab's house, he sent word to Rahab, likely through his armed guards, that she was to bring them to the king. Now the king, the most powerful man in the land, had given Rahab orders. Surely she knew the risk she was taking to defy him. Instead of handing them over, she hid the spies on the roof and sent the king's men into the wilderness chasing ghosts. She must have been pretty convincing, but the armed guard, without question, took off in the direction she instructed. Rahab then reveals her brilliance. Before the spies fell asleep, 
she went up onto the roof and made a deal. According to Rahab, the people of Jericho had heard how the Israelites had walked on dry land across the Red Sea and how they had utterly destroyed the kings of the Amorites. The Canaanites were terrified as they watched the Israelite army growing closer and closer. Despite the walls that circled the city, Rahab knew they were vulnerable. She knew that the land that had belonged to her people would soon belong to the Israelites and their God. So she spoke as an oracle, as a prophet, declaring Israel's occupation of the land. She, a Canaanite, a woman, a prostitute, was the bearer of the divine message when she said, I know that the Lord has given you this land. So Rahab, wise and clever, used this knowledge to strike a deal. In exchange for the hospitality and protection she had already offered, she asked that the Israelites, upon entering Jericho, would spare her father's household. Now, the household was the most numerous unit of society in ancient Israel. Her father's household would include her father and her mother and her brothers and sisters and everyone in their household, including children, slaves, or servants. Her gamble to protect the spies and defy her king would provide safety and life to a large number of people. In exchange, because apparently sex and protection from the king were not enough, the spies made Rahab swear that she would not tell anyone why they were there. Although it's pretty clear the king and those in the city were suspicious. They then gave her a crimson cord to tie on her window. Anyone inside the home in which the crimson cord was tied would be spared when the Israelite army entered Jericho. So it is with many stories in the Bible. This story references another. Can you guess what the crimson cord represents? What story does it reference? The crimson cord reminds us of the blood of the Passover lamb. All of those residing within a home upon which blood was painted were spared. All others lost their firstborn son. This was the 10th and final plague and the nightmare that finally swayed Pharaoh's hardened heart. It was the plague of death that led the Israelites into freedom and into the wilderness, the same wilderness they were now trying to leave behind. The Passover is repeated, but this time, it's a Canaanite prostitute and her household that survived destruction and death. The outsider, the one who is to be conquered, the powerless, the overlooked, the often abused is granted protection and functions as a bearer of the divine message. Rahab, tenacious, brave, strong, threw her lot in with the Israelites and for her wisdom was granted safe passage. She and her household became residents of Israel, residing there in safety for generations. The book of Hebrews is a pastoral letter written to a church in crisis. The readers were second generation Christians who had grown lax in their faith. 
Rahab served to call the church back to faithfulness. Rahab trusted in a future that belonged to God. She acted without knowing the outcome and at great risk to her own life, but through wisdom, courage, and faithfulness, she secured her own future and that of her household. Today, Rahab challenges our notions of purity and morality. Our culture, largely shaped by the Christian church, does not like moral ambiguity. We condemn those who work as prostitutes rather than the men that use them. We belittle young women for showing too much skin, in our opinion, and we blame victims. We question a rape victim's morality, their clothing choices, their decision-making, and further heap blame upon women for men's abuse of power. The bodies of those who identify as female, non-binary, transgender, those outside the heterosexual cisgender male are often seen as objects or worse, disgraceful, disposable. We do not have the right in many states to make our own reproductive decisions, nor can we decide which bathroom or sports team fits our gender identity. The Christian church needs to spend a little more time with Rahab and other biblical women. These women can help us dismantle our rigid notion of sexual morality. Ch they challenge our power structures. They serve as God's agents and as examples of faithful living. God can and does work through the most unlikely, at least by our definition, characters. This is good news, and it's also challenging. It means that God can and does work in and through us. We, no matter what we have done, where we have been, or how we are labeled, are called to be faithful followers of Christ. Righteousness is not a requirement. The identifying markers we give ourselves and others are really of no consequence to God. That is good news and freedom. There is that little twist, however. That person you can't stand, the one with whom you argue, the person on the opposite side of the political spectrum, the one who gave their life trying to defeat Roe v. Wade. God loves and can work through them as well. Rahab was, after all, the enemy and the despised of the despised people. She was the enemy of the Israelites. Our notions of who is worthy and who is not have absolutely no bearing on God's work and on God's grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.